0: In a world full of fintechs, pain point fintechs, solving the problem fintechs, we're going to get rich quick fintechs, there is one fintech leader who speaks common sense and knows what the greater good means. Today on Bankadelic, we have David Reiling, the author of Fintech for Good, the CEO of Sunrise Banks, and a true fintech leader who's going to show us, tell us, and demonstrate for us how fintech can make a difference. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozzo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cup of kick up your feet here we go Thanks for tuning into Bankadelic, recently named one of the top finance podcasts you should check out by the Jay Palter Social Advisory in Calgary. We are honored to have David Riling on the podcast. David is a social entrepreneur who is an innovator in community development finance and financial inclusion. He's the CEO of Sunrise Banks and has been in the community development banking industry for more than 25 years. David, welcome to the podcast. Lou, it's super fantastic to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this all week. Super fantastic. I love it. You're based in St. Paul, and you're in Minneapolis quite a bit. That was so close to where an entire summer of insanity took place with the George Floyd protests and some of the violence that occurred as well. What was it like to live through that? It was... Shocking, to say the least. We're broadcasting today from my house, which
1: is about a mile, mile and a quarter away from where George Floyd was murdered on 38th in Chicago. And the riots in Minneapolis took place on Lake Street, which is a short mile from my house. And so the sound of helicopters and sirens and gunshots were, you know, for three, four, five days, a very regular occurrence. For me, it was a bit of a flashback. I hate to say that it wasn't my first riot, because it wasn't. I worked in Los Angeles, particularly in South Central Los Angeles, in the early 90s during the Rodney King riots and spent time there. I just have to say it was a flashback to that in terms of the looting as well as the escalation to a crescendo. We found Minneapolis at the epicenter of, I think, a huge change
0: and a wake-up in terms of racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation and economic development, so much of that goes hand in hand. And if you were to think of one way that fintechs might be able to get involved at this particular time with racial reconciliation as a whole, economic opportunity, what might that be? It's a great question, Lou. As a matter of fact, it was interesting post-riot,
1: all the people that wanted to help the affected businesses and neighborhoods around those areas. Anything from I'd like to volunteer to I'm bringing a shovel and a broom to a foundation that wants to give money to a local organization. There are all sorts of different places where there are resources. And there are so many of them. To get them organized and integrated somehow is still kind of a mystery. So what we're trying to do right now is either figure out how to buy or build a piece of technology where we can code Various things, like if you have a 2% loan program like the city of Minneapolis does, Foundation XYZ has got specific grant money. If you need help cleaning up, you need volunteers. We're coding all those different things in. So a small business or a resident might be able to type in, hey, I'm Joe Smith. This is my address. Has impacted by the riots. I'm a person of color. Um, this is my address. These all might be factors in terms of getting specific resources. And so we're trying to leverage technology there to really code in and bring all the resources to bear and then match those up with the people who want to give, whether it's time, talent, or treasure in that regard. And so we're trying to be what a bank does as an intermediary and facilitate those resources from one end to the other. And if we can be of help In terms of lending, great. If that's a piece of the pie, debt isn't always the solution. You need some equity or grant money in some cases, but in a lot of cases, there's a mixture of all the above. We would like to provide that leadership role and help match parties and bring those desperately needed resources to the community.
0: Time, talent, treasure, tech. It all equals FinTech for good. And you literally wrote the book called FinTech for good. If you were to write a follow-up chapter, or an epilogue based on everything that's gone on in the past 12 months, not just with the George Floyd riots and protests, but also COVID. What might you want to point out as crucial that will lead the way forward? Yeah, the book
1: itself, you know, it highlights like five different fintechs that do good. I think I could highlight 50 more easily. I think there's a nugget in that fintechs in and of themselves and their value proposition will have to have a place where, whether it's the consumer or the business, whoever they're doing business with, is going to need some social or economic or environmental. There's going to be some benefit other than just the product. They need to solve that problem for the benefit of the consumer or the small business. I think that intangible, that impact that they create, is going to be key to the secret sauce, key to their brand, And ultimately, their overall financial as well as brand success going forward. So I do think there's some nuggets in that. And I think there's as much creativity in designing the actual financial product and service as there is designing the impact piece of that in. Put those together, one and one make three in that synergistic space. And so I think maybe that's the end of the book. One and one can make three. By doing good, it adds another component to it. And really brings you that much tighter to your customer and ultimately that relationship that'll be valuable,
0: not only now, but in the long run. You and I share that common passion of thinking exponentially about these things. One crucial element in that one plus one equals three is financial wellness, financial literacy. It's a topic you're passionate about. I am as well, but there are impediments to that. What do you see as some of the biggest impediments? What can we do about them?
1: Yeah, I've been in this business for 25 years. I don't think I've really scratched the surface of financial literacy other than from my perspective and my knowledge of the past going forward. I would say that we need to create better designed financial products and services. I just think we had been so stuck in the fact that a checking account can't change. The fact is you can take that checking account apart put together parts of it, leave other parts off, design other components in which to build in financial literacy as the part of the product itself by making it more accessible, more convenient and easy to use, really easy to understand. think of just a better transparent product, but also embedding into it those little moments that you can teach. Our history has been that we can't get people to come to classes if we give them free food or free drink. The fact is, that we need to teach them on demand in real time when they have those questions. And so if we can bake that into the product, into the service and educate as they go or recommend certain things, I think there's little opportunities in which to put financial literacy in there. I would love to say, hey, we got this great program. It's going to be in all the school systems, going to be part of the life curriculum growing up from kindergarten to college. That is a really difficult proposition. So I think we have to take the moments we can
0: and put financial literacy in the places where people need it most in real time. And financial wellness really is this righteous circle. If people are financially well, they're less stressed. If they're less stressed, they're there for their employers. They're there for their families. When they are doing that, they feel the sense of well-being, community. It's really amazing when you think about it, what is possible if we can just get financial wellness into the spotlight?
1: Yeah, and you know, everyone's definition of financial wellness is different. And I
0: think that's one of the keys
1: and one of the beauties of fintech is meeting people where they are. Somebody's financial journey might not just be, hey, I got a savings account. Now I get a checking. Now I get an auto loan. Then I get a mortgage. Then I get a 401k. People might go from, hey, I'm cashing my check at a check casher. I need an auto loan because I got to get to work. Oh, yeah, I'd like to get a savings account. I mean, if we can meet people where their needs are at those times, I think we try to incorporate those holistically. I think we can get them to a better financial wellness space. But again, financial wellness is so much more than just financial services. As a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the more it's only part of the problem, particularly if you put it into COVID days that we live in, your physical and mental health are equally or more important than your financial health. These two are just tied together. And so if we can have well-being as an overall goal, I think we have to contemplate a person's physical and mental health and the costs and benefits of that, along with the tools of financial services to keep them out of predatory products and so forth, but help them build assets, reach a place where they have some financial security and feel good about it.
0: Wow. That is profound. That is profound. Financial, mental, physical, spiritual, they're all connected. And there's even a spirituality to money, whatever one's faith tradition is It's been commonly reported that in the New Testament, Jesus says more about money than just about any other subject. So we can't lose sight of the fact that all these things are connected and they can all affect each other.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you immensely. Again, when we take a very big picture of all this, how do we help families? then broaden it out to a broader neighborhood and a community. As we start to tie in all these factors, they really are interconnected. And so, again, you could probably relate some type of well-being and financial well-being of an individual to how well the community health services are and how can people get access to resources. We have one actually really cool relationship with Lutheran Social Services in the Twin Cities, and they give mortgage and financial counseling and budget counseling. But you know what? That's kind of our role with them. But when someone comes in and let's just say they're a pregnant teenager, they need access to county health services. They need to know what benefits are available. Those are huge financial impacts on this particular person in the situation they're in. And to be able to access those things is not just a financial benefit, but also just a mental relief that there are some resources and help and someone to guide them through the situation that they're in. So, again, all things connected, we're all part of a society,
0: and hopefully, well-being means a collective well-being. Absolutely. In the midst of all of this, however, there is an acute boots-on-the-ground situation where people are living unemployment paycheck to paycheck, and community banks are thrust in the midst of looking at how they do business in an entirely new way, that is online, that is virtual. I'm wondering how community banks can remain relevant, not just in a COVID-19 landscape, but the post-COVID-19 landscape.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Lou. And I think it's actually a very poignant one, particularly as we are right in the midst of this. And I would say, if anything, that COVID has brought out in my mind is that community banks have got to change and change fast. They need to embrace it. You know, If the first six months of 2020 are any indication of how this new decade is going to be, it is going to be the most transformative and disruptive decade in history. So I think if you don't like change, this decade isn't for you because you're going to have to move and adapt. And so that ability to adapt is really going to be a key skill set. So when you think about the community bank that's going to be relevant post-COVID is one that's going to have an entrepreneurial mindset. They're going to have to figure out what are those key strengths that we have? What are the biggest dangers? What's keeping us up at night? And then what are the biggest opportunities? And then how do we minimize those dangers, leverage our strengths, maximize those opportunities and change? How do we really leverage what we got in order to be relevant to our community? And that could be a digital community. It could be in person, could be a combination of both. So all of those factors come into play. I also think there's one other aspect that I would say is near and dear, so I'm a little biased in this, but there's not only the mindset of an entrepreneurial banker that's going to be really important to community banks, but community banks kind of have this ingrained in them already. You need to be a banker with a conscience. You can't just take on something purely for the fact of money. I don't think that's going to serve your brand very well, particularly in the long term. You really do have to go back to what is that impact and value to that ultimate customer, consumer, or small business, and how does it benefit? So there's really that doing well, doing good component that come together that makes a solid brand that allows you to ask customers really, what do you need and what are your problems? And I think if you approach it from the standpoint of trying to come with a product or solution, if we took the time first to listen and kind of live in the beauty of the problem, and even though it's uncomfortable, When you really understand the problem of that consumer or that small business, the opportunities or the solutions really start to become very apparent, but you got to take the time to like, you know, be in it for a while and feel their pain and walk in their moccasins. It's from there that the strategies really come forward. And I think ultimately the success and relevance of community banks in the future. David, what a delight. It's great
0: to hook up with you again. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Lou. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great to be with you today. David Ryling is a social entrepreneur, an innovator in community finance, the author of FinTech for Good, and the CEO of Sunrise Banks, based in the Twin Cities. You can look for David on LinkedIn. Bankadelic. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services, which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q-U-O-N-T-I-C-Bank.com. Forget about fintech. 2021, that's the year of Lutech. The kind of a year when you can open up a checking account online in seconds, as long as it's in my name. The kind of a year when community banks will stand in line <laughs> for the privilege of addressing my pain points. The kind of a year when I can just sit back and record a podcast simply by thinking about, thinking, about thinking about it thinking about it thinking about it thinking about it think wake up there it's time for three bullet points number 1 I would love to
1: say, hey, we got this great program. It's going to be in all the school systems, going to be part of the life curriculum growing up from kindergarten to college. That is a really difficult proposition. So I think we have to take the moments we can and put financial literacy in the places where people need it most in real time.
0: Number two.
1: I think we have to contemplate a person's physical and mental health and the costs and benefits of that, along with the tools of financial services to keep them out of predatory products and so forth, but help them build assets, reach a place where they have some financial security and feel good about it.
0: Number three.
1: I think there's as much creativity in designing the actual financial product and service as there is designing the impact piece of that in one in one can make three. By doing good, it adds another component to it and really brings you that much tighter to your customer and ultimately that relationship that will be valuable, not only now,
0: but in the long run. And now lose views. On today's podcast, David Ryling spoke frankly of change, tumultuous changes going on right outside of his home. We also see changes that are for the good of diversity, and we see changes going on just in the way fintechs approached how they serve customers. Can they open checking accounts and bank accounts online? Are they really pinpointing the products they create to the difference that they can make, not just in consumers' lives, but society as a whole? I'm going to sound a little skeptical. I don't mean to be a downer, but I don't think we're all the way there yet. There was a lot of talk about diversity and the need to change in the financial services industry after the George Floyd killing, some of it coming from financial nonprofits, some of it coming from well-meaning banks, but... Was that a moment or a movement? Really, the proof is in the pudding, and 2021 is going to be an incredibly interesting year to see who walked or talked. Citi, for example, named their first African-American CEO, and Kenneth Chenault, the outgoing CEO of American Express, has been very frank in his views about the way African-Americans have struggled to climb the ladder to the success that they deserve. A report by the global diversity think tank, Coquel, speaks volumes. It found that black would-be executives are planning within two years to leave the organizations that they're a part of because they just don't see the opportunities to advance to the C-suite. We have to keep our eyes on the target. The news cycle moves fast, I would say as a journalist, way too fast. And what seems to be the exciting moment of the minute or the day, can easily disappear. We all know that. But at some point in 2021, when we hit the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's unfortunate passing, it'll be a time to see who walked the talk and who was just spinning the news cycle. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carloso. You can catch me on LinkedIn and at the coffee shop thinking about another iced mocha. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.